One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport, your one-stop shop that looks back on the thrilling midweek action as the joy sucker that is VAR rules out about 27 goals and focus on the big weekend fixtures where it will rule out another 27 more. With me, the assistant editor of the Daily Mirror, Darren Lewis, and TalkSport's football reporter and commentator, Alex Crook. Red alert! Liverpool lose a fifth straight home game as Chelsea mount a top-four challenge. Manchester. It used to be simply red, now it's the new order. But as United travel to City this weekend, one and two in the Premier League, who is going to have a happy Monday? It's not the only local rivalry this weekend. 5.30 Saturday night, Villa take on Wolves. Also, guns drawn at Newcastle, where there's a high noon showdown with Big Sam. Sunday also sees our game to avoid. Tottenham have got... Palace. Ah, my eyes, my eyes. Plus, Sheffield United take on Southampton and Burnley, fresh from causing Leicester a real headache, hope to derail Arsenal's mini revival, if that's what you call it. All on the podcast that, like Newcastle, seems to have a lot more fight off the pitch than on it, the game day podcast from TalkSport. This is game day. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast from Talk Sport. We're delighted to be recording this in the aftermath of Thursday's games. And when this first landed in your pod inbox with a little vibration this Friday morning at 5am, producer Lucy, spare a thought for her, she'd just been crawling into bed after putting the finishing touches. And so apologies if it's, it's not perfect because, uh, you know, she tends to lose her way after... Uh, midnight and gents be careful because you know that uh, any slip of the tongue might just creep into the pod because you might miss it because it's such a late edit especially you darren because we know how controversial and offensive you can be when the red light is off i would have warned crook about that but he's controversial and offensive both on and off air (laughs) (laughs) oh that's very harsh listen we should start by the way can we congratulate darren lewis and liverpool football club as a whole on yet another piece of history tonight. They are record breakers in every sense of the word. Absolutely fantastic. Well done, Darren. You must have loved that game. (laughs) Do you know, on the one hand, I'm gutted as a fan. On the other hand, I'm not that surprised because it's in keeping with our form, with Liverpool's form throughout the season. What, What I'm most fascinated about, and I've said this many times already, is the lack of willingness to actually understand just how badly Liverpool have been ripped apart. Actually, they deserve a medal for being as close to the top four picture as they've been for as long as they have been. But I think the club will understand what's going on. I think they'll look at Jurgen Klopp and they'll say, don't worry, we'll come back next year. The players will be back. You'll be back and we'll be back. So I'm not that concerned. I know you're playing the music, but I'm going to keep going. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> I just think, I just think, look, look I, if the injuries ripped them apart in the first half, during the first half of the season, you know who, gone for months and so they've lost that leadership at the back, they've lost their way up front, the momentum is gone, the confidence is gone, and it's like anything, you take the engine yeah, it's okay. I phoned him out. It was getting boring, I know. Uh, right, we've got eight games to get through over the course of this weekend. Plus, we've got to look back on a few massive highlights from midweek as well. Hey, so let's get to it. That's the final whistle. Liverpool nil, Chelsea won. Liverpool had never lost five consecutive league games at home ever. They have now. We had clear-cut chances, we had moments, we had these kind of things, we just don't use it. And um, if you then make that decisive mistake around the goal, then that's enough. And maybe that looks then like it's too, it's too comfortable for the opponent. Everybody can be my go-to player if they leave their heart on the pitch and are hungry to learn and uh, come with a big smile every day to training ground and that's exactly what Mason is doing. He, uh, he has everything what you need to, to, uh, to become a big player and he's on his way and um, he has both feet on the ground. And nice guy with a top performance, very, very reliable and uh, very humble at the same time and hungry to learn. These are all the ingredients you need. Let's start at Anfield then. Liverpool beaten at home for the fifth time in a row in a league. It's never happened before, uh, but it did tonight. And this was the big one, wasn't it? So many games this season between the big six or seven, as I'm determined to call them now. Uh, Leicester certainly are much better than Arsenal and Tottenham. Uh, have failed to ignite our fires, get our juices flowing. So did this one get your juices flowing, Crookie? It was okay. I was impressed with uh, Thomas Tuchel's tactics. He pinpointed an obvious weakness in the Liverpool side and, and they benefited from that all night. I thought Liverpool were poor and Darren's already gone on his uh, long rant about why they're in the situation they are. I actually think the, the problems stem a little bit deeper. Um, and here's why. I looked at the body language of the Liverpool players and obviously we will highlight Mohamed Salah and his very petulant reaction to being taken off. He made it pretty clear he was unhappy, as did his advisor on social media almost as soon as that substitution happened. He just tweeted a full stop. Um, so read into that what you will. But he I don't may, think Salah's... He may have just sat on his phone. You can't, you can't read anything to that. <laughs> well, I, I could read a couple of things and I'm sure that the folks at home can as well. But Jonah, what I, did you I, read? What did you read? I what once tweeted read? a beer from my back pocket. I didn't even mean to. Uh, well, you could read that he meant enough is enough. I don't think Mohamed Salah has been the same player since he started openly flirting um, with Real Madrid. I think Trevor Sinclair pinpointed it a few weeks ago that the relationship between him and Sadio Mane to me seems to have broken down completely. There's no sign of a partnership between those two. They're both playing for themselves. Mane's form has fallen off a cliff. He had a fantastic chance um, to score for Liverpool in the first half and just never looked like he would. Salah's body language was poor. I think you can look at Trent Alexander-Arnold 
his confidence clearly has eked away and I thought his body language was poor as well. And even Jurgen Klopp at the end of the game looked absolutely shattered. I think it goes deeper than injuries. I think you've got... Some, I mean, the Wijnaldum contract situation. You've got players at Liverpool who I don't think are committed for the long haul. And I think the, the ownership structure and, and maybe the, the, the lack of willingness to, to invest in the squad and, and, and to pay the, the same sort of wages that other clubs in the Premier League do, the Chelsea's and the Manchester City's, maybe that is coming back to haunt them. I mean, what? you can shake your head, Darren, but you can't just keep blaming it on Virgil van Dijk. They've lost five no, 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 you're home right. games in a row. No, you're right. You're right. And I, I don't, I'm not shaking my head at that. I think you're absolutely right. It, it isn't just about Virgil van Dijk. It is also about the people that the players that they lost to COVID. It is about the fact that the momentum has gone at the worst possible moment. But, you know, they could have had that gold route, but still had that defensive organisation, that platform to build on. But when you have that gold route in tandem with that lack of cohesion... Yeah, but, but Leicester have had injuries lost, as well, haven't they? I mean, they... And that's why everyone thinks they're going to fall out of the top four. Because you you know they've had this so is many Liverpool. Injuries. This is Liverpool. I mean, this do you do you think Salah wants right to be at about, Liverpool? Do you think Salah is committed? But but again, that that's a different that that's a sub. You're right about the the potential for him to leave, and but that's a different subplot. If I'm talking more about why Liverpool as a team, if you take out Salah, are, are struggling all over the pitch. They've lost their confidence. They've lost their way. You're right about the fact that it isn't just. Van Dyke, and I, I would admit that, but I, I would, I have far more sympathy, it seems, than many people are willing to have for them. When uh, everyone knows that if you look at the evidence of your own eyes, this is a team that's lost players, lost momentum, lost confidence. And as a result, lost their way. Yeah, but they weren't uh, as depleted tonight as they have been. And Jota coming back certainly helped that. But they did take until the 87th minute, I think, to have their only shot on target. Ultimately, there has to be a, a way of formulating a formation, style of play change, a plan B that gets more players into the box. That was what we were told he did in the previous game. That didn't happen tonight. Yeah, but you also got to give credit for, for Chelsea to Chelsea. I thought I mean, Chelsea I played really, really well tonight. See, I listen. I think they've been playing okay since the start of Tuchel's reign because when he came in, his brief was to actually get them up the table, and what he did was start with defence. It doesn't necessarily matter how well they play, just as long as they keep a clean sheet and get the three points. Darren, Darren, look, I think teams. I think Thomas Tuchel is a prime example of how you can uh, make a uh, a. Uh, silk purse out of a pig's ear because uh, Andreas Christensen was magnificent tonight. I mean, that in itself is a terrific achievement. I think Chelsea actually haven't played that well under uh, Thomas Tuchel. In fact, they've been pretty boring up until this point. Even away in Atletico Madrid, the game was very much keep possession, don't allow the other team to have any chances. As you say, focus on defence first, but there was very little adventure. Tonight... They were much more ambitious with the way that they played that game. Away at Anfield, to go there and, and to have five or six you know, good opportunities to score a goal, have a goal that was disallowed for something very minute in, in the first place. But I, I, thought, I thought he did very, very well tonight. And I've been pretty hypercritical of the way that Chelsea have approached matches recently. But I thought he got it absolutely spot on tonight. You told me they'd lose before the game. I did. I thought they would lose. I don't think they had a chance. I hope in hell's chance of winning tonight. But if you say that, then you're not looking at 
all the problems Liverpool had. I, I did kick off before we recorded this light live with who he was on Croft. And I said to him before the before the game had kicked off, I was concerned because everyone seems to Liverpool have set a standard that everyone is judging them by. And people are refusing to accept the evidence of their own eyes. Well Alisson was in goal. Alexander Arnold yeah, played right back. Alisson just come back. Beanie. We all know what's happened in Alisson's private life and we know what had happened before the bereavement that he sadly suffered. So, you know, you can say he's back in goal, but, but what? it almost sounds like ridiculous to be even talking well, about football that, in the context. If that, if that was the case, they shouldn't have played him, should they? I, well, I, I have to say, I was amazed that he was back so soon. Football doesn't matter when you hold and, it up against And by the way, we totally, life. I totally agree with you. And I think it, I, I was surprised to see him back as well. But my point is, is that this isn't a scratch team. This is basically the first team, bar one, maybe two players. And, and let's yeah. get it right. He, Thomas Tuchel deserves praise. The, the reason that he allowed Chelsea to play without freedom tonight was because he believed that there were vulnerabilities in the Liverpool defence. He got the best out of his group of players. Jurgen Klopp isn't getting the best out of his group of players. The high line was ridiculous. You know, Chelsea seized upon that time after time. I know he's been forced to play certain players out of position, but he's also made choices to play certain players out of position and, and leave central defenders on the bench. Sooner or later, managers have to take responsibility. It's Jurgen Klopp's job as manager of Liverpool, as manager of the champions, to work out a way, even without Virgil van Dijk, even without the other players that have been injured, to come up with some kind of title defence. They're the worst champions the Premier League's ever seen. You know, mercifully, the people who run Liverpool are much more considered in their assessment of what's gone on. And I don't think they'll be bothered by the fact that they've lost the, the title. I think they're more cons concerned about the fact that their £75 million asset, they lost, what, a third of the way into the season, about the fact that the manager's lost one of his parents, the goalkeeper's lost one of his parents, that most of their defenders have been lost for the season. Other players have been lost to COVID. The front three have lost their form and their confidence. I mean, for goodness Whose sake. Whose job is it to get to that make... confidence back? No, 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 no. I don't, listen, they're people, you know, and these are people that but they're before their assets. And I think that certainly, listen, we can agree to disagree, but me personally, I don't look at Liverpool with any sense of panic whatsoever or concern. They'll be back. They'll need time, but they will be back. And do you know what? The way people gush over City at the moment, same things they were saying about Liverpool, uh, about Guardiola in, in after they got smashed up, I think it was by Leicester, wasn't it? 5-2. And, and people said, oh, Guardiola's done. He looks tired. His side looks stale and all that. Now those same people are, Guardiola, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he amazing? We are so impatient in this country, so knee-jerk, so willing to throw people overboard instead of understanding the circumstances around the positions that they find themselves in. And thankfully, the people who run Liverpool will not panic because they will see exactly what's going on and they'll be back. Um, if we could have some knee-jerk reactions to some of the absolutely terrible laws of the game, that would be uh, rather welcome. Uh, because over the last uh, little while, we've also seen uh, the most ridiculous handball. Um, well, the, a, a, a goal which Josh Madger scored. No one, no, no one's fault. Lamina just hit him on the hand. It fell to to Madger and went in. Okay, uh, the, the law is written in such a way in which that was 
correct in law, but it's frustrating to watch, especially then when you look at another incident of handball inside a penalty area defensively wise and it doesn't work uh, in the favour of the attacking team. So uh, I think IFAB are meeting over the next 24 hours, actually, 48 hours to sort of decide what's going to happen next year with a handball law. That's got to change, but it ruins games, doesn't it? I mean, I've, I've actually decided, I've come full circle on this. You know, once VAR was um, implemented, I spent a lot of time trying to sort of understand it and get involved with it, and I did. I spent a lot of time with the guys at Stockley Park. But I, I'm just fed up of it ruling out goals, even like the Werner goal earlier on tonight. I mean, it was tiny, the offside infraction, and I'm not entirely sure they measured it from the right place because what I've been told is the shirt sleeve line was not from where they measured it. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous, isn't it? And if that is your measure of offside, and we know about the frames per second rate of the cameras as well, which are inaccurate, I mean, it just needs a shift, doesn't it? I mean, we need a sort of... If if you're going to have VAR, there needs to be a better way of implementing And I read today that discussions, which would, I think, heal a lot of the rifts to allow conversations between the officials and the on-field referee to be heard by the wider audience for explanation purposes have been paused. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Manchester divided. The top two in the charts come together on Sunday with the idea of Manchester United chasing down City about as realistic as us getting into the Hacienda this weekend. <laughs> it's been closed for 25 <laughs> years. Uh, but are we in for unknown pleasures or will afterwards we be saying, heaven knows I'm miserable now? Crook, what do you reckon? Well, I reckon I'll be miserable. Um, this is one game that I'm going to be watching firmly behind the sofa. Uh, in, in the past... Oleg and Solskjaer has, has found a way to compete and often beat Manchester City. It isn't going to happen this weekend. The performance against Crystal Palace in midweek was dross. I described it as disgusting um, on Twitter. The lack of effort, the lack of endeavour, the lack of energy, the lack of desire, uh, and, and the lack of a willingness from the manager to actually be proactive rather than reactive. It was obvious from about 20 minutes into that game, you don't need two holding midfielders uh, against Crystal Palace. He, he should have changed that. He left it far too long to make his substitutions. And, and I'm going to say it, I told you so. Manchester United don't challenge for trophies with this manager. 
too often now. Sheffield United at home, West Brom away, and now Palace away. The, the attitude of the players has been second rate. Okay. And I'm sorry, that has to come down to the man whose job it is to motivate those players. I'm not buying they're tired. Everybody's tired. It's been a long season for everybody. Some of the performances have been inept. Mm. Well, the good news uh, is, is that we never expected you to tell us that you told us so, because you don't do that nearly enough. Um, I don't uh, think Darren would disagree with anything no, no, I've just no, said there. He certainly won't disagree with that. Uh, you don't tell us near, nearly enough because you can't stop telling us so that you get everything right. Uh, 285 minutes without a goal for United. All they need to do now is keep the barricades up and add to the 324 minutes since they last conceded and we can sign for a fourth nil-nil in a row, Darren. After all, there have only been five goals in the last uh, four derbies. It's, it's likely to be about as entertaining as a Morrissey gig. <laughs> I stuck yeah. that in just in case Durham's listening. <laughs> Listen, I do think Crook is absolutely right. Wouldn't disagree with a single thing that he said. Two key things I would add to that. Since they went top at the turn of the year, I think they've only won three Premier League games. And it strikes me that they can't cope with the pressure of, of being top. They couldn't cope with the pressure of suddenly finding themselves in a title race. And the interesting thing is, if you go back to November... Spurs were top. They beat City 2-0. Uh, City were, I think they were ninth. And at that point, people had written City off. You look at the rise since then, and you look at the fall since the turn of the year of Manchester United in terms of games won. I have to say... But they have been robbed well, of Paul Pogba, haven't they? I mean, oh, come on. You know, there are, there are good enough players in that squad. Right. Their injury crises have not been anywhere near as bad as Leicester, for example. Um, and yet, Leicester right there with them. They have thrown away points after points after points. And I think Chelsea could easily finish above them easily as things stand at the moment. Um, right. And uh, let's have a quick chat about Manchester City who have been um, relentless. I mean, they've won every game of each of the last 21. Um, can Manchester United stop them? And if so, do they have to rely on Manchester City having a bad day? Yes, absolutely. And I think we've seen games recently um, and the Arsenal match was a classic example where Manchester City have almost declared at one. They were quite happy to win one nil and, yeah. and not use up too much energy. Almost the Wolves game as well, by the way, until Conor Cody scored that yeah. goal. But I'm not convinced they're going to take mercy on Manchester United in that way. This is a derby that uh, they've already reasserted themselves as, 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 as the main powerhouse in Manchester now, as if that was ever in any doubt this season. I think this might be the game where Pep Guardiola takes the shackles off and says, go out and make a statement. I totally agree. I, I, I normally give quite involved answers, but I'm going to keep this one simple. I think City will win. I think they'll win emphatically. And I think they'll emphasise the gulf between the two clubs and show just how far United have fallen. Crossing is met by a header, which goes in off the post, and it's Chris Wood, and Burnley have come from behind. I think they know what's required, and they know that the, the feeling of the Premier League is that you can games can get away from you against anyone, by the way. Burnley won, Leicester won, a valuable point for both clubs, Burnley edging away from the Premier League danger zone. No, that'll be the key thing, just focusing on the next challenge. And it's turned in for 3-1 by Nicolas Pepe, and Arsenal are now firmly in control of this game. Our issue right now, I think, is more on the consistency and the regularity in which 
we can make things happen. Arsenal come forward again. Taney fires it into the area, and Lacazette makes it 4-0. The club's history is related to the Champions League, and obviously anything that is not at that level is fulfilled of disappointment. Burnley against Arsenal is live on game day this Saturday, 12.30. I had a bit of time with Sean Dyche today. Uh, he talked about his team having a strong jaw, the way they bounced back in midweek from uh, losing so heavily to Spurs. I thought it was actually quite impressive. They were the better team for most of their game against uh, Leicester City. They certainly had the better of the chances. Chris Wood denied a couple of times by Schmeichel. It was more of a front foot Burnley performance than you would usually have them down for. How much of a scare, Darren, can they give Arsenal? A, a lot. I mean, uh, Arsenal are a very inconsistent football team. And when I look at them, the fragility about them as a football club says that I think they've got a bit further to fall. And I don't look at Burnley and see a team that are there for the taking in quite the same way that they were at Spurs. For a start, it's going to be um, at their place. They gave Leicester a real game. I think that when you look at Arsenal as a team, they're very reliant on Saka. I think in Wood, who's you know straight back into the team and, and showing he's got a bit about him as usual. And in fact, a number of their players, you know, they have different points of attack and players that if Arsenal aren't ready for a scrap, can really hurt them. I think Burnley can definitely get something out of this game. I agree. And um, I would imagine it's going to be a second string Arsenal side because they've got a big game in the Europa League next week, live on TalkSport 2. Chance for revenge against Olympiacos, chance to avoid another Greek tragedy. And uh, <laughs> I think we've seen that Mikel Arteta is prioritising that competition. So I think Burnley have got a terrific chance. Burnley are looking to do the double over Arsenal for the first time since 1963. And, and as you already mentioned, they've got that big game in Europe. They rested Saka or Bamiyang at the weekend. Um, it looks like Smith Rowe won't be out for too long, although he shouldn't really, probably is not going to be available for this game. Uh, Pepe has notched, though, in, in three of the last six league games, and we've started to see a little bit of competition for places. So the fact that they may rotate for this game actually might you know, keep one or two of the bigger boys on their toes. What do you think? It might do, but I, I just, the, this is a big picture issue for Arteta. He, as Crook rightly points out, the priority is the Europa League. He needs to win that competition because he, they need to get back into the top four. If they've got no European football this summer, how do they attract players? Uh, how do they get themselves in any kind of position to see a, a path back to the top four. I can't see it. They're 10th at the moment. They're 25 points off City. They've only come from behind three times this season. So that says to me that there's a lack of character there. People might say, oh, they came from behind against Leicester the other day. But how often have they done it this season? For me, there isn't enough of that, that heart in the team. And they've got to prove it by going to Burnley and winning. Okay, and so Burnley let's will really let's, test it. Let's add this into the mix then. Mikel Arteta this week has been linked with the Barcelona job. Uh, now, I've always been pretty impressed with Mikel Arteta <laughs> when I'm talking to him. Um, even if I'm scathing of their season overall. And, I, and I, you know, I've given them a bit because they are 10th. And I don't think that a team like Arsenal, even a transition season, should be 10th. 
Uh, but um, two, two, uh, three questions. Have Barcelona got that bad? Is Arteta <laughs> that good? Or is Arteta's PR man that good? Which one is well, it? Listen, well, listen, if he wasn't Spanish, I don't think he would be being talked about as a, a possible Barcelona manager. But I think he's probably got as much chance of getting that job as uh, Manuel from Faulty Towers. They've got the same credentials. Uh, it, it probably does tell you how far Barcelona have fallen under Ronald Koeman. I like the fact that that's your Spanish point of reference. Like, like Manuel well, I was looking, from Faulty Towers. I was looking for Hamlet. There's literally no one listening to this podcast who even knows what Faulty Towers is. Well, I was looking for hapless Spaniards and he was the one that came to mind. Can you think of a better one? Enrique Iglesias. Is he hapless? Well, his music was awful. I don't, I don't think Arteta's hapless. I just think that he's got a number of unreliable players that he's inherited that he, he needs to get rid of. But with better players, I think he could do better at Arsenal. But there's a long gap between where they are now and getting those better players. But I do agree with you. Not a chance would he become Barcelona boss. No chance. His PR man, he probably deserves a pay rise to even get people talking about it. Come on. Aston Villa against Wolves is live on game day this Saturday at 5.30. Um, First of all, we have to say it's not a derby. Uh, The West Brom fans go mad if you call it a derby. The only derby is the Black Country derby when they play Villa. All right? Anyway, let's call, uh, let's call it a Midlands mashup. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Villa had a big blip in midweek. Can they bounce back with Grealish tip to resurface? Uh, Darren? They could do, although Wolves are growing in confidence. And mm. I, I think that they might um, continue on that upward curve. It's been alarming and, and quite disappointing in some respects that we're back to saying that Villa need Grealish because for a long time defensively they were very, very good and John Derry has been doing some terrific work there. But I think they've shown that they just don't have that creative spark in the final third without Grealish. And if someone comes and pinches him in the summer, they're going to have to find a way to find someone or develop someone who can give that to them. Yeah, and someone might come and get him in the summer because I think that if he wants to be an England player going forward, he will have to be playing at probably a club that plays in the Champions League. And and while it's still possible that Aston Villa could be that place, it looks unlikely after their setback against Sheffield United in midweek. And and their biggest issue appears to be Naus, doesn't it? Because they've won 12 games in the league this season and they've tightened up brilliantly, as Darren has already mentioned. But they've lost 10 games. You know, so if they just drew a couple of those matches that they were losing, then they would be more than threatening to the top six. Yeah, it's strange. I, I don't know what that suggests really about their mentality. I guess it, on one hand, you could say it's it's the fact that they try and win every game they play and, and sometimes that, that does cost them at the other end. I think, I've said it before, I think the squad depth is, is their biggest issue. Not, not just Grealish, but obviously without um, Matty Cash due to injury as well. That they've basically got 13 players. Um, and if any of those players are fatigued or injured, it, it gives Dean Smith a problem. I think they've overachieved this season. It's been a remarkable turnaround from where they were um, this time a year ago. So wh- whatever happens yeah. with Aston Villa between now and the end of the campaign, and m- my suspicion is they will probably not qualify for Europe. I think Dean Smith still deserves plenty of plaudits. It'll I, be interesting to see what they do next season. I hope that people remember just you know, one, how bad they were going into lockdown last year and what's happened since then. And yes, if they run out of steam and they finish in the top 10, then they've, I think they've finished in the top 10 this year. They've done a brilliant job. 
because they <laughs> stayed up with the skin of their teeth on the final day of of last season. I mentioned it uh, last week about Wolves getting stronger in the second half of matches and we saw that again on Tuesday night before they were blown away uh, late on. Uh, Like Darren, I I see better things for them. They haven't quite turned the corner yet, Wolves, but I've I've got a feeling they're coming into the first bend. Still haven't got a striker, have they? I mean, William Jose, were you impressed with him in that game against Manchester City? I think... No. I think it's difficult for for a player like him coming into the Premier League in January... Uh, in a side that are struggling to score goals. There's a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. And I think may- maybe it is too soon to-, to judge him. But obviously, you've got you've got the young lad, uh, Fabio Silva, as well, who's going to take time to adapt. They need Jimenez back. I mean, I mean Badly. It, it seems obvious to say it. And, and I'm not suggesting they're a one-man team. But without him, they do lack a lot of cut and thrust. Cut and thrust. That's what are you giggling at? I'm not suggesting that they're a one-man team, but they're a one-man team. <laughs> Here we go. Game on. Game day on Talk Sport. Crossing is met by a header which goes in off the post and it's Chris Wood and Burnley have come from behind. And it's turned in for 3-1 by Nicolas Pepe and Arsenal are now firmly in control of this game. The club's history is related to the Champions League and obviously anything that is not at that level is fulfilled of disappointment. Sheffield United 1, Aston Villa nil. They had the chances, did Dean Smith's team, to get at least a point here. It's a missed opportunity. I don't set them any targets apart from being ready for the next game and going in and performing. We have to keep doing that. As Wolves come forward, cross into the area and it's headed towards goal! And we have the equaliser! How on earth have Brighton Hove Albion lost that game? It could yet be a crushing blow. A very, very gloomy day for the Foxes. It was very flat overall from Leicester. People talk about the top four, but I've always said we're not in the top four until the season's finished. And West Bromwich Albion are back in the game. They've scored from a set piece. Points we have to gain between now in the end of the season if it was a normal season and we got those points we'd finish in the top eight in the Premier League Steve Bruce looks up to the heavens he'll feel the world is against him it's still 1-1 somehow on yet another blockbusting game day let's have a look at the rest of Sunday Funday now Liverpool take on Fulham at 2 o'clock and Fulham have won the same number of Premier League games in their last five as they have in the rest of the season combined uh, they're still within touching distance of Newcastle who we will get on to very shortly um, look these two drew 1-1 at the cottage in December at the beginning of uh, Liverpool's mini slump I mean Liverpool aren't going to go six games are they without a victory Darren I think they could I have to be honest, I think at the moment, everything about Liverpool that made them so brilliant last season has deserted them. And Fulham, only the two Manchester clubs and Leicester have won more games since December and prior to Thursday night's matches. And I just think there's a confidence about them and a belief, more importantly, about them that suggests that you cannot write them off in any game. They play such good football. They just lack that cutting edge. And that is a sort of, I think, a hallmark of the league as a whole, really, to be honest with you. There's a lot of teams that lack a cutting edge. And and Fulham probably hurts them more. I mean, I, I was looking at the statistics today of uh, the uh, expected goals, etc., etc., and, and Fulham should not be where they are. 
No way. But the problem for them is that this is the two, the first of two horrific. Well, tonight was the first of three horrific games they've got. They've got that Liverpool game on Sunday, and then they're at home to Manchester City after that. But after those matches, they've got Leeds at home and Aston Villa away. And I think they'll be looking to take points from those matches. Then they've got Wolves at home as well. I think all of those matches are winnable. And for that reason, given what we now know is the chaos at Newcastle, I still think Fulham can stay. We've been saying this now for a number of weeks, haven't we? Even remember, remember, were. I told you so, Crook said they wouldn't stay up, just in case they he do. He did. And he said he was- would do the show naked, didn't he? No, no, I said topless if, if Fulham stayed up. Na- na- naked was Sheffield United. Um, I still Watch think they'll back. go down. Your back lifting those goalposts and trying to shift them. <laughs> I still think they'll go down. They've scored 21 goals in, in 27 Premier League games. They can play all the pretty football they want, but they haven't got anybody to put the ball in the back of the net. I think Ademola Lookman is a terrific player until he gets in the penalty area. I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek is a it's very good player. He got to the until edge of the penalty, gets area, in the penalty twice area on Thursday night and then I don't know what I don't know what he was trying to do. He's not like him. He's actually, you know, very calm and collected in front of goal usually. So this is Scott Parker and I've said this before. I admire the way that he has improved Fulham as he's gone along. I think uh, in the midweek game, there was only one player in the starting eleven that started their first game of the season against Arsenal. That shows the, the squad and the, and the starting lineup was have evolved Harrison over the season. Because he was terrific, I thought. I, I think it was Harrison Reid. Yeah, he was terrific. Um, I think they are favourites to win the championship next season because that's the division that they are going to be playing in because they don't score enough goals. Don't forget, folks, he told you so. And if you do forget, don't worry, he will tell you again. Uh, West Brom against Newcastle, midday, live on TalkSport. This is the big one, isn't it? This is the one we're all going to be tuned in to watch because it's Big Sam against big bruising Brucey who goes out into the training ground and bumps into his players and says, you called me what? You called me a coward, did you? Um, two of the uh, most popular, unpopular men on Tyneside, and that's just with the current Newcastle squad. Uh, Big Sam saw his side poke their head above the parapet, uh, although their win over Brighton is probably too little too late. They then lost to Everton despite having a late goal disallowed. Um, at least everyone knows where they're supposed to be playing, though, in Big Sam's team. Hey, Darren? Yeah, indeed. One win, two draws, only one defeat from the last four. The confidence is thereabouts. Um, and is even it? In, yeah, I do think it is. And even in defeat, they looked better against Everton than they've looked for a little while. You compare that with Newcastle, Crook, uh, I'm sorry, but you look at the last, what, 10 games, they've lost seven of them. Uh, they they look disorganised. I will be very, very interested, given the detail in, and listen, I know it's the other paper and all that, but Craig Hope, who's done the story for them, an excellent journalist. And the key thing for me about these revelations in that newspaper is that the sanctity of the Newcastle dressing room has been breached. The level of detail Big in the story style. suggests, absolutely, suggests that that is not a united dressing room. And the detail in the story as well about some of the players, for example, being unhappy with uh, John Joe Shelby for giving an interview where he was positive about the manager, that 
sets alarm bells for me ringing. The suggestion that the players are unhappy with Steve Bruce for saying that it's their fault and some of the players are openly saying it's never your fault and they believe there is a pattern of him blaming them. That sets alarm bells ringing. So for me, I will be looking at the performance of the players in this one. Are they committed for him? Because I think that will tell us all a hell of a lot in this match. What players would that be? Because, I mean, he's going to heavily rely on someone who he's obviously fallen out with, Matt Ritchie, now that Miguel Almiron has joined Callum Wilson and Alan St. Maximam on the sidelines for an extended period. I mean, basically, they're creative force. They're goal-getters. Their goal creators have been ripped out of the heart of the squad. Yeah, and so Maximam in particular is, is a massive blow. He was fantastic for an hour in their last game against Wolves, ran himself into the ground. Again, if, if he could finish, he would be a, a top, top player. But you, you do wonder where the goals are coming from. I think with hindsight now, the, the owners there probably realise that there's a big problem between manager um, and, and the squad. And that's probably why they brought Graham Jones in, a northeast boy from, from Bournemouth, to try and reunite and, and, and close that, that gap, if you like, between the manager and his players. Do you think they Form- will sack him before the end of the season in order to get a little managerial bounce where they get a couple of wins or even four points that takes them away from Fulham and, no. and therefore they, they, they survive? In which, no, case, just- in which case, that could be a major problem for Mike Ashley because if they were to go down... He can't sell them. I think Mike Ashley is gambling on there being three worst teams than Newcastle, and it is a gamble. Uh, for all that I've said, that the Fulham will go down. Clearly, uh, the morale at Craven Cottage is, is far better than St James's Park. But there was a story on the back page of one of the newspapers this week saying it would cost £4 million. Mike Ashley wants to sell the club, doesn't want to spend any money, so clearly doesn't want to spend £4 million sacking one manager, one manager and then paying a lot of money to recruit another. I, I think he will stick with Steve Bruce. I, I do think, and again, I think I've said it before on this podcast, if St. James's Park was full week in, week out, the manager's position would be untenable. The, the atmosphere there would be so toxic. But at the moment, I think he'll stay. And, and I think Mike Ashley believes that they'll just about crawl over the safety line. I think it will be close. I mean, we know they've got a, a big game on the last day of the season. Darren, how damaging is this to Steve Bruce's career? Because there's a lot of unhappy people with him and it's not just the fans, it's not just the media, it's his own players. Um, Newcastle, one of the very few teams who are where they should be. They are just as bad as the stats suggest and there's no easy fix. Because if you look at Brighton, you can see, and Fulham, you can see what the issue is. The issue is they, they don't convert enough of their chances. They need a striker. Whereas with Newcastle, it's just general rubbishness. Steve Bruce has managed 11 clubs. I don't think it's going to do his career too much harm. You know, he's been around the block. I, he, he's in this job because it's his, it's his way back into the Premier League, you know, and he's, he's managing at this level. But it, you have to say, it, if the players were to get rid of him, where, where he isn't going to pitch up in the Premier League again. Why would you? I mean, in the Premier League, increasingly, it's a younger man's game. Um, and uh, I look at Steve Bruce and the the way that he's unable to put out the fires that appear to be raging around the, the training ground, the club, the fan base who are unhappy with him as well. And it suggests to me that 
he's he's got a real problem. I mean, listen, he's respected within the footballing fraternity. He's loved, obviously, because of his work at Manchester United, celebrated. Um, and he has done good work as a manager. But this problem for him, you could argue, particularly now, let's step out of the footballing bubble, that with people out of work and struggling, if you're going to get a £4 million payoff, you're not doing too badly at all. But at the same time, in, in a footballing context, he has a real problem because I cannot see where he pitches up in the Premier League after this. Do you think there's any danger that the Newcastle players have jumped on the narrative? They know that the fans despise Steve Bruce. They know that they've underperformed this season. If they, if they jumped on that narrative and thought, right, we might as well nail our colours to the fans' mask, there's more chance of him going than us and, I, and actually I think it, you it suggested them that he's suggest, taking the flack didn't you suggest the other week that actually there was there was a moment where you felt as if the players knew that they weren't going to get criticised for bad performances because they knew that it was going to fall on the shoulders of the manager exactly I think that's probably the case but I also think that tactically there's obviously an issue because I mean I was privy to some information on Saturday night that Jamal Lascelles was going absolutely balmy um, at uh, the bench after a substitution hadn't been made in the way that he thought it was going to be made. And he was swearing at the bench. They didn't actually show it on the television, but he was going crazy at Steve Bruce and the coaching staff for not passing on the information. And, you know, they very much felt as if that was a tactical error. And I think when look, I think there's fallings out in training grounds all the time. I think that happens yeah. all the time. And I don't think we should overplay the fact that someone had a row with someone and it, it all got a little bit heated because I think that happens every you know, pretty much every day at somewhere on the training complex, whatever club you're in. But I do think that the the repeated number of problems that they've had and the fact that the squad seemed to think that he's leaking information about even team selection. The, the dropping of Carl Darlow was a really, I think a real sort of sore point for the squad because Carl's actually been brilliant for them. You know, I know for a fact that England are looking at him to bring him into the squad. So the idea that he's, you know, they, they would bring in Dubravka for no given reason, really, apart from his experience, and he actually made a mistake in that game, um, was, was I think, was, was, was tough to take, but also more tough to take because it was leaked to the media 48 hours before he actually told Carl Darlow. Yeah, although the journalist who ran that story was public on Twitter, wasn't he, and said it didn't come from Steve Bruce. I, I think the other point that Darren made there about the Premier League management being a young man's game is actually quite relevant. From what I'm told, Steve Bruce is quite an old school manager. He's seen Sir Alex Ferguson, who famously didn't take too many of his own training sessions, left it to the coaching staff. I think Steve Bruce does that as well. But I wonder now if modern players want their manager to be more hands-on. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't. I think that very much depends on the club. I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer takes that many uh, training sessions. I think he leaves it to his coaches and, and very much does a sort of similar sort of hands-off thing. I mean, I think they do take some, but a, a young man's game, yes, I agree. I think it needs invention, wit, new ideas, but I'm not sure that this, this, that style of being a manager and wearing a tracksuit every day is necessarily the most important thing. If you've got good coaches that put on good sessions and players will take that. Uh, Tottenham against Crystal Palace is 7.15 on Sunday. <gasps> Tottenham to win to nil, dominate the game. Palace to nick one without having a shot on target because of an Eric Dyer own goal, something like that. Anyone want to offer a, a, another prediction? This is definitely going to be the most boring game in the entire world, isn't it? 
I was disappointed with Tottenham against Fulham because he he finally named that the front four that everybody has wanted to see: um, Bow, Son, Kane, and Deli Ali. But again, as soon as they scored, the handbrake went back on again, and it's almost like it's ingrained in Jose's DNA. As soon as his team go one nil up, the natural reaction is to sit back and soak up pressure. And a better team than Fulham would have taken something from that game. So I'd imagine it's going to be a similar story against Crystal Palace. They'll probably score early and try and win the game 1-0. Brighton Hove Albion lost that game. It could yet be a crushing blow. Disappointed in the week because we've played two matches, lost two games that were scratching our head a little bit as to how we've done it. But we have and we have to deal with that. Crosses left foot and it's guided in by Connolly. And Brighton do have an early goal. We haven't got the points that we need yet. We, we have to keep fighting for those and that's where our focus is. We've got 12 more matches to go. A very, very gloomy day for the Foxes. It was very flat overall from Leicester. People talk about the top four, but I've always said we're not in the top for until the season's finished. Indeed, with the Thunderbolt hits the post and in, and Leicester City have taken less than six minutes to go in front. What I have here is a brilliant group of players that's going to keep pushing and keep fighting, and let's see where it takes us. Brighton versus Leicester live on game day, 8 p.m. Saturday. Uh, Crookie's doing this one. Brighton have missed two penalties, had 23 shots on goal, averaged over 70% possession, one on expected goals by 5.71 to their opponents combined, 0.87 over the last two games. Yet, Darren Lewis, they've come away with nothing. Only Manchester City are overperforming on their XG more than Leicester, and no one in history has underperformed on theirs like Brighton. This is only going to end in one result, isn't it? I think so. Brighton to win. <laughs> I think it'll be Leicester to win one and Brighton to have 17 shots on goal. Well, you say all of that. Instinctively, I was going to say that with all of Leicester's injuries, it could be there for the taking for Brighton. But Leicester still do have that man, Jamie Vardy, available to them. Ian Acho scored on Wednesday night. They've still got the nucleus of a decent side good enough to beat a Brighton side that don't take enough of their chances. And so in all seriousness, I could see this as an ideal opportunity for Leicester to get back to winning ways and hopefully defy the people who think they're going to tumble out of the top four. Uh, Vardy scored one in 13 games uh, prior to that earlier in the season. He scored, uh, I think it was 13 in 15, which is a terrific start to the campaign. Uh, but he's really gone off the ball since his injury. But how concerned are they at Brighton, Crook? Because, you know, you put a proper finisher in that team and the stats suggest that they would be knocking on the door of the top six. Yeah, and for that reason, that they don't seem to be outwardly concerned. I think, again, like Mike Ashley in Newcastle, they believe they aren't one of the three worst teams in the Premier League. And when you look at the number of chances they create game in, game out, they're probably not. They were hoping to get Tarek Lamptey back fit for this game. He's had a setback, so that isn't going to happen. I think that's a big blow. Um, I know he's only a young man, but he was so integral uh, to what they did early in the season, bombing up and down that right-hand side. They, they don't really have another player 
who can do the same job. I think Joel Veltman is for a one million pound signing has actually been one of their players of the season, but he doesn't pose the same attacking threat that Lamptey does. Um, they've got a difficult run of fixtures. I think they've got in their final twelve matches, they've got nine of the top ten to play. Normally, when you're a team looking over your shoulder towards the relegation places, that would set alarm bells ringing. But actually, Brighton have produced some of their better performances against the better teams who allow them to to play their football, who, who allow them to get in behind. So I'm not worried for Brighton at this stage. I think that they're capable of picking up some results that you don't necessarily expect them to when you look at the, the league positions of the teams they're playing. And this could well be one of them. Um, Leicester, not in a great place. They competed against Burnley in midweek, but for some good saves from Kasper Schmeichel, would have lost that game. They collapsed alarmingly in the second half against Arsenal. I think, again, the injuries they've had are taking their toll. And, and Jamie Vardy just looks a bit flat at the moment. They're going to miss Madison. I could see a surprise scoreline in this game. You see, you answered my next question without me even asking it, which was, Dr. Doob, Crook, how is Leicester's demise going? Um, because, of course, you famously predicted that they too would drop like a stone. Uh, Brighton have got Newcastle and Southampton in the next couple of weeks as well, so that should be guaranteed points, shouldn't it? Um, right, but they have got Manchester City, Arsenal, uh, Leeds, Chelsea, Everton, Manchester United, as well as that game against Leicester, which you're doing live on game day at 8 o'clock. Talking of doom, Southampton. European football has slipped out of Hootel's hands like an icy eel. They were woeful against Everton. Darren and Sheffield United have now beaten the dreaded 11 points. They've done it. <laughs> yeah, they've now lost in all competitions seven of their last nine. And they, they just can't seem to shake the poor run that they're on. They've lost three of the last four. They've drawn the other. And Hassan Hutel doesn't know where his next win is coming from. I mean, they're they're up against Sheffield United this weekend, as you say. But Sheffield United are playing far better than people expected them to be playing, given their position, given that they're pretty much down. And given the uncertainty around Chris Wilder now, and they beat Aston Villa in midweek, I could see them beating the Southampton side are completely devoid of confidence. They haven't sorted out the situation around Danny Ings. Uh, his goal tally seems to have dried up. Defensively, they're starting to look ordinary again. He's got problems. Uh, I mean, fortunately, they love him down there, but if they didn't, he'd have real problems. As it is, I, I can't see how he's going to arrest this runner form. Uh, Chris Wilder, uh, under scrutiny, or the rumours are that he and uh, the uh, Saudi owners have sort of had a disagreement about the way that the recruitment is run. Is 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 that something that Sheffield United fans should be troubled by? A little bit. Um, I know in each of the last two transfer windows, Chris Wilder has been very disappointed um, with the lack of backing, particularly in January when, when he still felt that Sheffield United had a chance of staging a miracle great escape, that the fact the owners weren't willing to back him, I think he saw as almost resignation that they were heading for the championship. And I think it will be interesting um, to see if they decide to go in a, a different direction in the summer. I think it's a big summer for both clubs. Um, I, I don't think Southampton are going to go down. I think they've already got enough points on the board. But Ralph Hasenhutl, in his press conference on Thursday, almost laid it down to the board and said, we need more players. You know, you need to back me. Um, and, and that's something that we've been saying on this podcast for a long time now. 
Will it happen under the current ownership structure? Probably not. And that's where I think Ralph Hasenhutl might just have a decision to make because he's become very agitated, very frustrated that he isn't able to work the way that he wants to without that backing from boardroom level. His job isn't under threat. He's got a great relationship with the CEO. And again, the owners couldn't afford to sack him anyway. But I think if there were jobs maybe in the Bundesliga or even higher up the food chain, the Premier League, that he would have a chance of getting, I think he would be very interested. That would be a shame mm. for Russia Southampton. Gladbach. Uh, so I'll just leave that there. Although I did hear that this week they had a bit of a, uh, uh, a ding-dong uh, themselves. They had a bit of a clear-the-air session at uh, Southampton and thrashed a few things out. And as a result of that, going into the weekend, they should be in better shape. I also... Um, so it was, it was suggested to me uh, that once they are safe, which probably could be this weekend, it might be the weekend after, they will start planning for the summer. Um, but they'll be looking at quite a lot of free transfers, which I think goes down the route of, uh, of what you were suggesting earlier. They just haven't got the cash, have they? Which is a bit of a worry. No, and it's interesting you say that they've had a clear-the-air session. They've had quite a few of those over the past few seasons. Um, and this is, this is almost going to fly in the face of what I said about Jurgen Klopp right at the start of the programme. Sometimes players have to take responsibility. It's not always on the manager. And I know they've got injuries. I know confidence is not brilliant at the moment. But the lack of effort and endeavour against Everton was frankly appalling. And if they perform in that manner against a Sheffield United side, who, if nothing else, are always going to give you 110%, they will come up short again. And the trouble is, there's certain players in that dressing room who can look great for six or seven games when it's all going well, and, and they're, they're long-serving players. But as soon... Name names. Uh, Name names. No, don't Nathan really. Redmond. Oh. Nathan Redmond. Uh, Ryan Bertrand. As soon as, the going, as soon as the going gets tough, they don't stand up and fight. And, and that is a big concern, I know, amongst Southampton supporters. Okay, more controversy from the man who always tells you so. Uh, Alex Crook, uh, thank you very much for your contribution uh, to the programme. Uh, Darren Lewis, uh, we've loved having you with us. We're back Monday morning after all the games, looking back at another mammoth weekend and ahead to a big week in Europe. Uh, Darren, go and uh, lie down now, rest up, uh, get yourself uh, back to full fitness by next Thursday. We know that it's been a tough, tough night for you. And so uh, we wish you all the very, very best. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're here for you. We're here for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.